Howdy, everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Summit. I'm your host, Jordan Green, here in the studio with Pastor Michael Gibson. How you doing, Michael? I am well. Today's a good day. Yes, good, good day. You have a good weekend? I did. Uh, it was a busy one, you know, between preaching for church, and uh, I got to hang out with the senior class at our academy. They had a Vespers over oh, one of rat. the kids' homes, and got to share a word from Scripture there and just hang out with a great class. Um, the senior classes here, they're a fun class. I, mm-hmm. I enjoy hanging out with them. Um, and then Sunday morning, we were at the Community Impact Center. Awesome, awesome work getting done out there. Yeah, we're basically back to studs. Everything's completely demoed. Uh, it's like 95% there, the, the, the work that our volunteers did. So I'm sore today. <laughs> Moving and bending. Got your, got your workout done. And, yeah, and then... Yeah, and I don't I don't know if it was that or if it was going with my son to a friend's birthday party who they were their kids were turning 5 and 3 and so it was me, Micah and a bounce house for about 45 minutes. Now, see, and, you got you got your lifting in and then you got your cardio. You got you got you both in the same day. I had a really nice weekend too. I spent some time with my mom in uh Sundance Square. She hasn't been there. She hasn't been there before. Yeah, She's downtown Fort Worth. Yeah, it's really okay. good. Found this restaurant that I'd never been to before and had the best breakfast sandwich I have ever had in a in a really, really long time. And also, it was really interesting. I I didn't realize driving around Fort Worth how little I'd been in it. Mm. There was a lot of Fort Worth that I realized that I hadn't discovered yet. Yeah. And I made a mental note in my head to start like, so maybe, maybe I go down sometime and and just start, you know, exploring Fort Worth on foot. Yeah. You know, wandering around, just walking around Fort Worth. Speaking of walking, we covered a very famous story in the sermon this uh this Sabbath. Good news got legs. Yeah. Acts chapter three. Mm-hmm. Started off in Acts chapter three. And I kind of want to talk about that a little bit before we really dive into the story, because I definitely feel like there's a a shift in the narrative of mm-hmm. Acts when we're transitioning from chapter two to chapter three. Mm-hmm. We talked last week in chapter two of Acts about the characteristics of the early church, you know, um, sharing everything in common, meeting in each other's houses. And we talked about this community that the early church had. And then now suddenly we're shifting to something different. Wouldn't you want to talk about that? Like that that kind of transition from that sermon and that message to what we're going to be talking about in Acts 3. Yeah. Um, just the sermon title itself was kind of a nod to that shift. Mm. Um, on a first reading, you know, going to Acts chapter 3 and the healing of the, the lame man. Oh yeah, obviously someone's getting legs, can walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but the intention behind naming it this good news got legs was also a nod to the Holy Spirit had been poured out. There had been an experience of good news. And now the church was mobilizing in in sharing that news. Right, right. And that definitely, I definitely felt that, that we're really moving into the first act of the apostles. Yeah. So we start off in Acts chapter three with Peter and John going to the temple. It's talking about that corporate worship. Mm -hmm. And... I really want to start off with something that I noticed, and this was one of the things that I kind of thought about post-sermon. The first thing we really see from Dr. Luke is he speci- he specifies the time at which they were going yeah. to the service. It's that three o'clock, uh, it says about three o'clock in the afternoon. Why do you think Luke in- 
includes that detail. I mean, why does it really matter what time they were going to, you know, their their evening worship? That's a great question. Uh, I think Luke is someone who pays very close attention to detail. He's a physician by trade. And so details matter when you're dealing with, with diseases. And that's evidenced in his writing. Um, I don't know that I found any significance to it being three o'clock in the afternoon uh, or in the original language, the ninth hour. Uh, other than that's, it's kind of been Luke's writing style. He, he wants us to know this is when this happened. And so mm-hmm. you kind of have in your mind that it's an afternoon, kind of middle of the afternoon is, is when they're going. Um, I didn't find, yeah, I didn't find any significance of like, oh, here's a big takeaway other than I think Luke's intentionality in writing the narrative that it's a nondescript day, but we're in the afternoon. And, and here's what happened. Maybe I can add a little bit to that narrative because I was definitely thinking about it mm-hmm. after um, after you you preached. And there were a couple things that I that I uh, found in my study. Yeah, please. Number, number one, this three o'clock hour of prayer. When you start getting into scripture, you start seeing a lot of symbolic numbers that start to show up. Mm. And one of the symbolic, you know, you, you see the, tw- when you see 12, it's normally referencing the 12 tribes of Israel. And I feel like it's God kind of dropping little, little, um, uh, you know how you, when you do airdrop, you have little pinpricks mm-hmm. in, in the map. It's like, hey, you need to be paying attention to this thing right here. And, uh, you know, 12 is one of them. You know, when you're talking about the 12 disciples, mm-hmm. 12 tribes of Israel, Seven is a is a number of divinity. When we see the number seven, divinity is present. One thing that I've always noticed in scripture is that whenever you see the number three, you're talking about one or more members of the Trinity mm. being present at that time. Yeah. And when we're talking about this story, I imagine that this Luke adding this three o'clock in the afternoon thing kind of references like, hey, this is one of those numbers. You probably want to be paying attention mm. to, to what's going on. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, and this isn't really, this is just kind of my thought about it, but if yeah. I was a crippled beggar and I've been crippled since life, when would I want to be, you know, what time would I want to be in front of the temple gate begging for alms? Probably when there's the most amount of people there. Yeah. And so what I think we see here is the spirit kind of literally setting up through Luke what is about to happen. Not only has he placed, you know, this this marker, this extra textual marker for us, the reader, to say, hey, you need to be paying attention, but also a time when everyone's going to be moving through here and kind of seeing what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely see significance in those. And I, I pulled up some of my notes while you were sharing as well. The This is likely also the time of the evening sacrifice. Right. So you're going to have probably to go along with your point, the most amount of people there. Right. And, uh, and, I, and I, am, I am reminded of another three o'clock that took place maybe a month or so before this in the yeah. text that was significant. And yeah. when Jesus passed, it was when Jesus died, three yeah. o'clock during that even sacrifice. Yeah. So that time is definitely in the minds of anyone who's going in there, especially Peter and John. Yeah. So, so Peter and John, they're walking up and they see this guy, this guy who has been crippled since birth, says uh, says the text. And man, what a life to live. Like I, I take walking for granted so often. I can't imagine like not being able to walk. Yeah. And 
and you and you talk about that in your sermon how this guy is has never had the opportunity to walk never had the opportunity to use his legs has to be carried by maybe not even friends by just some good-natured people who who set him down there you know and then and then he and they set him down by what's called the beautiful gate you want to talk a little bit about that 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 kind of that image of this crippled guy set down by a gate that's called beautiful. Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a big juxtaposition there. Uh, and commentators describe this gate as being very high and uh, being ordained with all kinds of uh, different beautiful artifacts. And it's just, it's, it's a work of art. And then juxtaposed is this crippled guy sitting beside it. Um, and I think that there's there's an extreme irony in this scene that the church who had enough money to make sure that the door was very very well decorated is perhaps neglecting the person who is in most need do you think we see that type of neglect in even our modern churches today you know with our huge mega churches and and you know all these ornate sanctuaries you see a lot of homelessness outside of that mm-hmm. it seems very it seems to echo that irony yeah i i think that in particularly in, de- in developed countries countries in the west uh, we we value places and buildings extremely and they are a natural part of society and culture that the way that you keep your building says something about your company or about your organization and I don't, I don't want to make it a complete kind of one for one of if you have good buildings, it means that you don't take care of the poor, those that are in right, need. Right, of course. But I think that it can be a detractor or a distraction. Um, just in the way that it says, Jesus said, it's very difficult for a rich man to get into heaven uh, because of the amount of wealth that he has on this earth that he can perceive that he has need, need of nothing and that has no ob, ob, obligation to share with others. And it kind of, even what you just said is that, you know, this beautiful gate is supposed to be very high and 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 ornate and what you call it. And as people walk in, they're all looking up. They're all looking up at this beautiful thing. And if they would just direct their gaze downward for a moment, they might see a person in need. And that was something you also zeroed in on on the sermon is that this this need to be noticed, this need to be recognized. I, I've fallen into this so often when I'm, when I'm uh, dealing with, you know, walking down the street and you see a, a person in need or a homeless person is, you know, if you make eye contact with that person, they're going to ask you for money. They're going to ask you for something or they're going to maybe if they're a little bit more, you know, not in their right mind, they might accost you or, or attack you. And so you you avoid eye contact at all times. And yet I I remember a study coming out where they asked homeless people, like, what was one of the worst things? And it wasn't it wasn't not having a home. It wasn't not having clothes. It wasn't, it's that people don't look at me. They don't look at me. They don't see me as a person. What do you think that speaks to in in this in this context that Peter and John, as they're walking down, it says that they see this homeless this this uh, this crippled man, this yeah. guy. They acknowledge him. Yeah, I I think they were they were extremely aware of the people around them and who is in need, 
And I think that they, the way the text reads, they were looking for him. Like it, it wasn't just, oh, they happened to bump into him, but they're looking around for someone who's in need and they lock eyes and they're like, hey. Uh, and I, I think that speaks to the, the Spirit's power in our lives, that the Spirit gives us an awareness of who around us is in need. And that's also something that we can practice that not not just ignoring the people around us but uh, acknowledging the circumstances and, and the things around uh, case in point for me um yesterday i went to to the grocery store uh, with my son and uh pick up groceries for the week and he's at a really fun age uh I just put him in the cart and kind of push him around and he gets to look and point and we talk to people whatever and we're kind of going back and forth in the store and I have some specific things that I'm wanting to get, not trying to stay there super long because it is a Sunday evening and it's busy and right. he needs to get home and all those all those kinds of things. And I, I loop around this one part and I don't normally go down the the pet food aisle. But the aisle that I wanted to to go down to or I was just I was going to make a turn and go to from the front of the store to the back of the store the one particular aisle that I was going to go down was just full of people. And I'm like, I don't want to weave my way through there because I don't need anything on that aisle. But the pet food aisle was largely clear. And we don't have pets at home, so I have no reason to go down the pet aisle, right? And I get about halfway down and I'm I'm passing this, this lady about halfway down and she's reaching up to the top shelf and the particular bag of pet food that she needs is just inches out of her grasp. And I can see her reach up and try to get it and then realize I'm not going to be able to reach it. And then she begins to look around her to see who might be able to help. And I'm, I'm passing literally in this moment. Like you can't write the script any better. Right. And I just, it was just so seamless. She, she reaches up. I, I see her do that as I'm passing by and she looks around kind of dejected. What am I going to do? How am I going to get this? I was like, do you need help with that? She's like, yeah, I actually need two of those from this shelf. And I was like, no problem. And being a little bit taller, uh, I could reach up, grab both packages that, sh- that she needed. I said, here you go, ma'am. Uh, she said, thank you. And I said, you have a fantastic day. And just on on with the rest of it. Uh, and, and it's those moments where we are, are receptive and seeing what's going on around us that can make all the difference for other people. And I think that that applies within, hearkening back to you know the previous sermon and how these two things are connected, I think that that definitely harkens back to how we acknowledge those in our own community. Because if, if we you know, are ignoring people, you know, unfortunately, you know, ignoring people outside of the walls of the church, what about when we come into church? Are we ignoring people there? Are we not seeing our brothers and sisters that are in need in our own churches? You know, it's something that you have to, you really have to rely on the spirit to give you eyes to see, as Christ would say. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we have as a large church. Uh, we're, we're large denominationally. Mm-hmm. Right? Compared to other mega churches, no, we don't bring out as much people as Joel Osteen does. Right. Um, but we're large for Seventh-day Adventism. I think Seventh-day Adventism is still like the fastest growing denomination out there, if I remember the studies correctly. It is, uh, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere and in places like South America. Um, 
for us in our local context, it could be so easy uh, to to slip into church, do a large body of people, and be unnoticed or to be unnoticing. And we could be sitting beside people who are deeply hurt, deeply longing for in uh, for for connection and 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 to be seen. And for whatever reason, we're focused on other things that we don't that we don't reach out, even though we haven't. We can recognize the person in face, but we don't ask them their name. We don't say that, hey, I don't know that we've had a chance to meet before. You know, who are you? Where, where are you from? What what brings you here? What what keeps you coming back? Uh, and it's something that I I know that I I wrestle with being a uh, more of a, for lack of a better term, a public figure, someone who's often very busy in public spaces, going from here to do this to do that. Of do I take the time? to notice the people around me and not just in a surface. Hi, how are you? You know, shake the hand, give a smile and move on. Um, but to learn a name and to treat someone as if they are the only person in the world and the person that I have all the time in the world to encounter. Right. And I think that's important because that's how God sees them. God mm -hmm. sees mm -hmm. every individual person as their own. He sees the people who are unseen. But for the sake of our story here, uh, Peter and John do see this guy and they make eye contact and he starts, you know, asking them, you know, for alms. That's, you know, acceptable practice in, in, um, in that time. And I love what I love, love how Peter answers him. He says, you know, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I'm going to give to you. And what if, what if we approached those people in need by saying, Hey, I don't have, you know, I don't have maybe money or whatever, but I've got something I can give to you. And what does he do? And immediately he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And I think that kind of harkens to another thing Jesus says in, uh, in the book of John, John 14, 13, he is talking to the disciples, and this is John's perspective of how he's going to, of when he's ascending. And he says, I tell you, whoever believes in me will be able to do the things that I have done and greater things than that. What is it, you know, what kind of do you think propelled Peter to, to look at this guy and, and say like, hey, this is the guy that I'm going to do for him, what Jesus might have done if he was here. What do you think propels that kind of that kind of action? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question, particularly looking at Peter, because really the first couple of chapters of Acts, the big question is what happened to Peter? Because mm -hmm. just a month and a half ago, he was cursing Jesus' name. I say this is swearing like a sailor. Uh, denying Jesus, exactly. stab, cutting people's ear off, like ready to, to fight to the death, Peter. And now all of a sudden he's this pious. Yeah. What happened to Peter? Right. We're going to see that even more in the, in the, in the next chapter. Um, I, I think what got a hold of Peter. No, I know what got a hold of Peter is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And that's the transforming power. And I think the difference maker of recognizing someone's need and says, I'm going to give you what I have. And I don't know that God calls us to be the answer for everyone. 
of, you know, you look at someone's situation and be like, well, I can't get them from point A to point B of where they, they need to go. But maybe God isn't calling you to take somebody all, all the way. Maybe it's, it's, a, it's a mark. It's a, it's, it's a part of their journey. And, you know, there's some, there's some holy boldness for Peter to stand up and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. Um, he had incredible faith that God would do what God had promised. Do we have that same faith today? Yeah, do we? I, I definitely, I wrote down in my notes, I wrote down in my notes here, I said, when you have an experience with Christ, it compels you to move in his name. And I think that that's what we see from Peter here is he saw someone with a need and he probably thought back to the numerous amount of times in which he'd seen Jesus see people with need. And what did Jesus do without a second thought? Healed them. And so Peter's thinking, now that I have the Holy Spirit, I have been told by the Holy Spirit to move. I have been told by Christ, ask it in my name and the Father will give it to you. And he moves and he does it. And I think that's, that's incredible. And the Spirit responds to Peter's action. And the man, this, is, this blew my mind when you were talking about it because there were a couple of things that, that blew my mind. Because at first it says, immediately the man took Peter's hand and got up and started walking and started walking. And the first thing that came to my mind is how in the world does a person who has never walked suddenly know how to, you, you talk to people who have had like, you know, um, who are quadriplegic and, and have lost the use of their legs. As they start to learn how to get it back, they have to relearn how to walk. This guy not only had the ability to walk, he had the knowledge of how to move. Yeah. You know, what kind of what kind of spirit power is that? Yeah. You know, that's that's just it's remarkable to me. Yeah. I wonder too, you know, there's there there's a a, por- a portion in I think it's verse 11. It says while he was clinging to Peter and John, uh, all the people were gathering around. And I wonder as well, just as much as I, you know, I believe that he stood up and walked. I also wonder if there was a little bit of something inside of him that was still uneasy, that still, you know, didn't have the years of walking experience underneath him. And he needed Peter's hand. He needed Peter's shoulder. He needed the assurance of somebody else who had that experience to walk with him. No doubt. It says that he jumped up and he's running around praising God. Uh, and then he's he's also, he's holding on not just because of the... Um, love and affection and appreciation that he has for Peter and John, but also for the the support. I don't know. I think that's really, well, I think that's a good, that's a very good analogy because I think that what we forget sometimes is that those who are new to faith, those who are new to the spirit, those who have new, who have more recently been brought into the community of faith and, and our believers, they're still uneasy. They're still uneasy. They're still wobble. They're still getting their sea legs. They're still wobbly in their faith. And it is the responsibility, nay, the the directing of the spirit for us to be there for them to lean on, to grab onto. And I feel that sometimes, you know, when people start to, when people are clinging in faith or clinging in that way, we have this this kind of natural thing. We want to push them off. Like, you know, Hey, hey, you got your, you got your spirit. You got your thing. Walk on your own. You got, you got, you got your legs, figure it out. And it's like, well, no, 
example of Peter and John, he's clinging to them with this new experience and they are supporting him. And I think that's a spirit-driven thing too, to support those whom the spirit sends to you. So now, as I as we said, this is a pretty crowded time and all of a sudden, this dude who's been, who people know, they know this guy's been sitting at the gate and they've probably seen him a hundred times. And now all of a sudden, He's walking and not only is he walking, he's probably making a lot of noise about being able to walk. And these guys are looking around and saying, well, what's going on? What's going on? And I like that scripture says, Peter saw an opportunity. He immediately sees, oh, hey, I've got eyes on me. Now it's time for me to start talking. And one of the first things he says, he starts saying, first thing he says is, hey, this wasn't us. He says, why are you guys amazed? Why are you amazed? And why do you think that this is something that we did because we were so pious. And it says, it is because of this man's faith that he is able to walk again. And that's worth talking about too, because I wonder, a lot of people make a lot of about, you know, well, it was Peter's faith that he was able to heal the man. It's like, well, what about the man's faith? Didn't he have to have a little bit of faith in the idea that Peter could do the thing he was saying to do? And how hard must that faith have been to have faith, somebody who's never walked to somebody? If you, imagine you're walking down in Fort Worth, Dallas, and you see a crippled person and you just say, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. That person's going to look at you like you're crazy. Like, so what kind of faith did that guy have to have in order to, to trust that Peter could do the thing he was saying he was going to do? And why did he, what, what gave him the, you know, the, the push to have that faith, do you think? Yeah, I, it's obvious by his reaction that he does have faith because um, he doesn't respond to Peter like, forget you. Like, are you kidding me? And we come to find in chapter four that this guy has been crippled for 40 years. He's 40 years old. So he's seen a little bit of life. Like he's seen the and heard the stories about the the pool of Bethsaida and all those things. And I I think that there's there's something about the name of Jesus. And no doubt this guy would have heard about Jesus. He would have known about the, the resurrection, about the crucifixion, about Jesus' teaching. Um, Jesus was, for lack of a better term, a household name by that time. Yeah. That's the the travelers on the road to Emmaus. When, I, I was thinking about that. It's, like, it's to the point where the, he was so well known that when Jesus appears to his friends and says like, oh, why are you guys sad? They say, you must be the only guy in Jerusalem who yeah. doesn't know what just happened. Yeah. Like, Jesus was known. And I, I, there's something about faith. Let me, let me see if I can articulate what the, the thought that's come to my mind. Peter had faith in the name of Jesus that the name of Jesus would bring healing to this man. And there's something about someone's faith, someone else's, else's faith in a solution to my circumstance or healing for my body that inspires a faith inside of me. That concept of somebody else believing in me. That's why parenting is so important, that kids are brought up by parents that believe in them that support them 100%. And so for, for Peter to stand there and extend his hand and say, get up and walk. Oh, somebody believes in me. If you're actually saying this, then there must be something to it. And I think that Peter reaching down with his hand to, to lift this man back up on his feet, that 
this guy probably didn't even have any time to th- have like that thought. Yeah, no, no time for doubt. Yeah, that his his body responded with faith. Like there, there wasn't a moment to intellectualize this and say, "Well, let's think about it, Peter." I've been crippled for forty years. Like this, this isn't this isn't the move. Like, what are you talking about? There, there was something inside of him that yearned for that healing, that knew that it was possible. And when the opportunity came, his body responded, and he grabs Peter by the hand and he rises to his feet and he goes around jumping and leaping and praising God. And the rest is history. Yeah, that that definitely that we that moment of you have to move you have to move in faith i think a lot of times as a very cerebral religion adventism tends to be very intellectualized and we want to think everything through and process everything and it's like sometimes when the spirit says move when the spirit says jump you better jump when the spirit says move you got to move you get you don't got time to think about it it has to just go you have to just go so peter starts into his second sermon of Acts. And this was an interesting one. I I thought that this was going to be really interesting to talk about because you talk about how Peter in uh, in Acts starts referencing these historical prophetic names for Jesus. He calls him, he calls him the servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. But what is interesting to me, what I caught was the context in which he's talking to these people. He says, you know, you've done all this for these people. Uh, you, you, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ was this man healed. And then Peter kind of goes for the jugular. He starts saying, he starts saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm reading from, from Acts. He says, Jesus, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate, even when he had decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life whom God has raised from the dead. And we are witnesses to that. And I'm kind of like, Peter, what is up with all this? You're, you, have, you say you see an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, and the first thing you bring up is the fact that you murdered this guy? Like, what's Peter thinking here? What do you think he's, what he's, what's he getting at here? I, again, I think it's the holy boldness that it is inspired by none other than the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even touch the second half of this sermon. I'll be able to to talk about it next week because chapter four is very much connected to chapter three. Uh, but in the second part, verses 17 through 26, he goes in even further to talk about the unjust way that they treated Jesus. And, and really this section of Acts, chapters one through seven, is really about the Jewish community understanding what they had done to Jesus that the guy that they said that they were looking for for so long, they ended up crucifying and put to death uh, and, and put him to death. And what, what he's trying to help them understand is that even though they put him to death, they're still healing in the name of Jesus, even though you did this to him and look, you did it. And it was prophesied that you were going to do it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, I think it's the, the an attempt by Peter uh, to use a a little bit of shock effectively because it's a pretty incendiary thing to say mm-hmm. you know uh, a 
condemning this group of people for what they've done. But I, I think it's with a, a holy purpose of, guys, do, do you realize how incongruent these two perspectives are? You claim that a Messiah is coming, and when he comes, you crucify him. But remember, it was all according to plan. Right. He does prophesied to happen. He says, and he says, you know, this was, you know, this is what was told and this was foretold that he would do all these things. And I think that Peter gives them a little bit of an out to maybe not an out, but kind of a he 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 comes down with a thunder. And then in verse 17, he immediately he immediately says, Now I understand that you did this out of ignorance. He says, I understand that you didn't know what you were doing, and neither did the people who were ruling you. <laughs> he said they did not understand what they were doing. And he says, but now that you know, repent, repent, and repent of your sins. Now that you know who Jesus is and you know that we are his witnesses, the Spirit is compelling you, repent of your sins and turn to him. And I think that's a really, really good way to kind of balance out this, this condemnation of the Jewish people in that, in that regard. You talk in the sermon, Peter acknowledges um, that this man has been healed by Jesus and he has been healed by the name of Jesus. But you talk about a certain type of healing, that yeah. this isn't just like a, this isn't like a partial healing yeah. that we're talking about here, right? Yeah. No, not at all. It's, it's his whole body. And Luke is very specific and he's the doctor, so he knows. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a complete healing. I, the New Living Translation doesn't do this passage justice. Mm. I really appreciate preaching for the New Living Translation. Um, because the language is so accessible, mm -hmm. but this is one of the places where it's a little lackluster because right. it just said he was healed and just kind of moves on. Um, other translations really pick it up. Like the new American standard Bible says that he was completely healed, full health. And this concept is, uh, present in other healings as well. Though the same word is not used. Uh, the more general world word for healing is the Greek word sozo which is used interchangeably in scripture to describe someone's salvation experience and the healing of their body. And I believe that that speaks to the, the connectedness that we aren't just embodied souls and that our, our bodies, when our, when our bodies die, our souls continue to live on together. No, it takes, it takes our body, our mind, our heart, and our soul to make us who we are. It's the combination of those elements. And so the salvation experience also brings healing to your body and the healing of your body also brings something to your salvation experience. Absolutely. And I wrote that down is that this wasn't just a partial healing. This was a whole healing, not only of his physical body, but of his spirit, of his faith, of his soul and of his salvation. Uh, as we go on, listeners, you're going to find that I like quoting C.S. Lewis quite a bit. He's one of my favorite, <laughs> one of my favorite authors. But there is a, a quote that I really like from him where he says, people need to understand that once you are fully and wholly gods, you are more yourself than you have ever been. And you must remember that God will always give back with his right hand what he has taken away with his left. And it's really that idea of completeness in God, in the spirit. There's something missing in all of us. There's something that 
I've heard it said a hundred different ways. And the one that I always think is my favorite is that there's a Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill, that only the name of Jesus can fill. And once you submit to that, once you acknowledge that, you become more yourself than you have ever been. You become more yourself than before you met Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that concept. And what it brings to mind for me is a lot of times when we talk about the salvation experience, we talk about it kind of in a half halfway approach. Uh, the classic song, Jesus, Take the Wheel, mm-hmm. right? As in, as if it's enough that Jesus would proverbially take the wheel and be the one who's in charge of our lives and take us where we need to go. But that's half the gospel. There's a, there's a point in a process where Jesus does that, but his ultimate goal is to teach you how to drive and to teach you how to be you. And that the, the essence of the CS, C.S. Lewis quote that you mentioned uh, is exactly what I was driving at in this message where Jesus doesn't take us and turn us into something else. He gives our best self back to us and then entrusts us with the care of ourselves. And, and, and that's why I think Paul says when he says, I die daily, that I give my body as a living sacrifice to God, that what we must be in a constant state of giving ourselves over to God for God to then turn us back to ourselves. And what Jesus wants to do is he wants us to live for eternity and he doesn't make us into these robots who he reprograms and we just automatically make the right decisions for the rest of our lives. Um, He could have just started from the beginning and then we wouldn't have had this mess in the first place. But what he wants to do is to recreate us and reform us so that we are followers of the way that we put into practice his teachings and it makes us our true selves. And he gives us back to ourselves reprogrammed and with the tools and the knowledge, and the healing and the understanding, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to live life in the way that he intended us to live not out of some obligation that we have to do this now and we're forced to, we're not slaves, we're sons and daughters and heirs of the promise. And that, that concept of, of salvation and the, the experience, the transforming power of God and the experience we have with him is so compelling to me that Jesus trusts me with myself. Yeah. That's a hundred, that's a hundred percent true. And I think that, 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 that message of being trusted with yourself to be your best self through Jesus, through through the transformative power of the Spirit, is is just what you really need to aspire for, and what you really need. That's what faith and salvation is for. Salvation is for freedom, and this kind of turns into what we were talking about the name of Jesus and where salvation comes from, and this is something that I quoted from you directly. And it says that you said the church has never saved anyone, but the name of Jesus has. And that is something that I think tickles a lot of people kind of in a, in a strange way. They say like, well, the, the church has never saved anyone. What do you mean? Like the church has never, you, the church is thousands of people have come to Christ through the church. So like, what do you make of that when it's saying, you know, the church has never saved anyone, but Christ has, the name of Jesus has. Yeah, I I think the intent behind that is that the church devoid of the spirit is useless. 
in the same way that the body without the life-giving breath is useless. It's just a hunk of meat that sits there. Uh, and no doubt, Jesus connects salvation in God with community, with fellow believers. We saw that in Acts 2, that as people were baptized, he was bringing them into the church. So Jesus was doing the saving and they were being brought into a community of believers. And if if we think that someone's experience of salvation has come about because of how great the church is, we've gotten off at the wrong station and we need to repent. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Ser- seriously. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you can't, you know, taking taking credit for the work of the spirit is is a dangerous business is a dangerous is a dangerous uh act of 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 hubris yeah and, and i think engagement with the church and belonging to a body of believers is a byproduct of a saving relationship with jesus mm-hmm. so the church has never saved anybody the church doesn't have the power to save anybody no it does not i have you heard about the uh Protestantism, <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole moving away, the whole the whole idea was to move away yeah. from the idea that you had to you had to ask a a human being exactly. to talk to God on your behalf. That was Martin Luther's big thing. He's like, this is fraud. This is absolute <laughs> fraud. And Martin Luther, being the wonderful man that he was, did his best to attempt this to save the church from itself within itself. Until finally, he's like, they're not listening. I've just, I've got to go do this on my own. Um, And the church is something God may use to save someone, but God is always the one who's doing the saving. And a church empowered by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, can do incredible things for God. But we always have to remember that the saving experience is found in relationship with Jesus, not relate with in relationship with the church. The church can help. The church can edify. It can be the best atmosphere and environment for someone to have an encounter with God that leads to salvation. But the church itself does not save anyone. And I really, really think that that's something that we're going to have to really reconcile with in the in the in these. The final days of Earth's history is that I see so many people who get hung up in the church on 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 trying to convert people or trying to to you know bring people in to the church so that they so that they can be saved and, and I was the one who brought them into the church and if they don't come into the church they'll they won't be saved if I don't do this they won't be saved this has nothing to do with you their salvation has nothing to do with you insofar that they're actually doing the saving it is the name of Jesus and the spirit that converts convicts and heals and I think that that's what really gets me in this third chapter of Acts is that Peter re-evaluating uh, re- re- and re-talking to the people, talking about it is not by anything we have done that has healed this man. His faith has healed this man. And we are witnesses to the one who has healed this man. But there is a role for the church, and that is the church's role of introducing people to Jesus. And it all started when Peter and John decided to look at him. When they decided to look at that man, they decided 
I'm going to introduce this guy to Jesus. Not only yeah. am I going to heal him, but I'm going to introduce this guy to Jesus. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Beyond the Summit. If you liked what you heard, make sure to follow us on our podcasting platforms or joining us for our summit service on Sabbath. We look forward to seeing you next week as we continue to go further up, further in, and beyond the summit.